The day we were gonna read about here in just a moment was a day that changed everything. In fact, the concept of church didn't exist before this day. This day that we're gonna read about was a game-changing day, not only during the book of Acts and in the early church, but even today. See, back then it was, religion was one of those things you were either in on or you were outside on, and if you were in on it, you had to be, you had to be a Jew. You had to be, be able to go to the temple and the synagogue. If you were a Sumerian or you are a Gentile, you were on the outside, and it really didn't matter how bad you may want to know God. The reality was you were on the outside of it looking in, and what happened on this day, 2,000 years ago, changed the trajectory of everything. So no matter where you grew up, if you grew up in the south or the north or the east or the west or you grew up in another part of the world and you went to anything called a church, right, a Christian church, you were influenced by what happened on this day. Let me tell you what this wasn't. This wasn't a group of really intelligent, educated, uh, high intellect, savvy People. This was a group of average, ordinary, everyday people. In fact, there were fishermen, and then there was a doctor we know, and then there were, there were some business people that were aligned in this. But God didn't use them because of this. He used them because of this. He didn't use them because they knew all the right answers to the questions. In fact, he used them because this day when the, the Holy Spirit showed up, it changed everything. So here's why it's big. Here's why it's big. Today's a separator day. It's a separator day in the sense for some of us, we have as much of God as we really want and we're sort of good with it. We like coming and we like attending and we like knowing and we like being a part. But then there's others that go, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a full-time ministry person. I'm a, I'm a whatever your occupation may be, but yet I want God to use my life. Last night, early this morning, our world lost a legend. Head coach Bobby Bowden from Florida State for many years went home to be with the Lord early this morning in this this tweet went out, and the tweet was, today we lost a legend, but you never lose a legacy. Bobby Bowden left a legacy, and he left a legacy not of just W's on a scoreboard, he left a legacy of changed lives. Mark Rick, coached the University of Georgia, great guy, made a terrible error in schools to pull forward. But anyway, so Mark Rick, uh, was he came to know Christ because of Bobby Bowden in our last service. Brandon Wood was in our service, one of our hospitality team guys played on Coach Rick's team, and it was a legacy that Bowden left. Why? Because he said, I don't want to live an ordinary life. I don't want to just be a football coach. It's football coaches come and go. Legacies are left by people that live for something bigger than them. This group of people that we're going to talk about today, let me, t let me tell you a little bit about them. So let, let's set the story. Jesus is crucified, he's buried, on Sunday he's raised again, and for 40 days he hangs out with his disciples, and he's with his 11, right? At the end of those 40 days, well, this is where Casey talked about last week, he went back to heaven, but told them that there was something more coming, and for 10 days 
they waited to see what that something more would be. Around that time, let me tell you how many there were. There weren't 10,000, there weren't 100,000. Get this, there were 120 that were the church. 120. Now, these are church numbers. We know when you add up church numbers, you always end up with more than are actually present. All right, And so that's what you do with church numbers. You always round up. I don't know how many there were, but it wasn't a lot. And here we sit in 2021 because of these 120. Because what happened that day was a game changer for not only them, but for you. But here's your warning. I know this isn't for everybody. I know that. And I know that there are those that will choose I don't know if I really want to buy all of it, Mike. I, I like some of it, but I don't know if I'm going to buy all of it. We'll talk about it as we go. Acts chapter 2. Would y'all stand with me today in honor of reading God's word together? Acts chapter 2. Man, this, sto- this story is a powerhouse. It is a powerhouse. In fact, really, all we need to do is just read it and go home. But they paid me to talk to y'all for a long time. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, Pentecost means 50, 50 days after the resurrection, you have the day of Pentecost. He was there for 40, left for 10, and these disciples didn't know what to do. I mean, they're sitting there going, what do we do now? I mean, he's gone. It, I, I, I like it how Ann and I felt when we brought our firstborn, he's 27 now, we brought him home from the hospital and the nurses are gone and the doctor's gone and we're like, Oh, dear Lord, all right? I don't really know what to do with this thing, all right? And so that's how these guys were. Here we go, pick up the story. And all the believers were meeting together in how many places? How many places were there? There's one. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. This room that this group of people had gathered in, all of a sudden, it's different. Because in this room, something has entered they didn't have before. Keep reading. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. And we're going to talk about what that meant here in a second. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem were Jews from all over. Now, what wasn't was a common language. So it's very much like going to another part of the world. People speak a different language than we speak here. But they all lived in Jerusalem, but they were Jews from all over. It's important because of what happens. When they heard the loud noise, everybody came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So there's all these people. They come running up, and now it's just crazy. They hear the gospel. They hear the story of Jesus in their language. So they hear it in a way that they can understand it. And they were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from where? What does it say? Galilee. So there's two, two points to that. One, yes, they're all from Galilee. But it's like, this is unbelievable. These people that have time to learn all these languages, they're all from 
Ackworth, right? I mean, that's what you're, you're from U Harley. I mean, what? They're not, these aren't like the, these aren't New York, New York City people that have the best of them. These are just average people. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of liberty around Cyrene. Mike, you mispronounced them. You don't know. You don't know any better than I. Oh, don't judge me. Let's keep reading here. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. So all these different people. Here's the crazy part. Everybody get it. They hear it and they get it. They hear it in their language and they're like, I, I don't know what to do with this. This story of Jesus now isn't just for one group of people. Now it's for all the people. Look at what happens. This is crazy. And we all hear these people speak in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed. And what's the next word? Perplexed. How many of y'all growing up, how many of y'all remember growing up being in math class? Raise your hand if you're being in math class. You understand the word perplexed? All right, you remember them writing something on a board? That's perplexed. All right, here we go. What can this mean? They ask each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed, saying they're just drunk, that's all. There's no way to explain it. So we're gonna explain it away. Now here's the part. Here's where we enter the story. The same Holy Spirit that infiltrated this story is here to get involved in yours if you'll let him. The same power that was accessible that caused this 120 to be game changers is accessible to you. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing this morning in Compass True North, patio, wherever you're watching, tuning in online, I want you to pray this prayer with me. God, show me. Would you? Show me. Show me what it could be. Show me who you are. And show me what I'm missing. Would you pray that? God, show us today. In this birth of a movement that happened 2,000 years ago, God, I pray that we see it again. And Father, that is my prayer, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So let's, let's hit this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna call time out. We're gonna talk a little bit. Here's our mission. Ready? It's right there in your outline pen, pencil, something to write with, or your thumb in your phone. The mission's to influence people to follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the mission then, and that's the mission now. A lot of change between then and now. But that hadn't changed, right? Technology's changed, society's changed, travel has changed, all that's changed. The mission hasn't changed. The mission that we point people to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the beauty of this. I want you to get this. This is accessible to all of us, not to the called, not to just the people that do this for a living. So tomorrow morning, at 9 a.m., I will punch in on a call, and that call had 
uh, about a year and a half ago or two years, about a year and a half ago, we had about eight guys, 14 guys that did the call across the country. It's college baseball coaches and pro baseball scouts. So we, we gather, these guys don't, sad part about their jobs, they're always recruiting. Or they are at a tournament or they are, they don't, if they get to go to church, they don't get to get involved. So we're like, well, we'll start a little small group. Now that call averages between 60 and 70 every week. And these are men that you've ever been to a ball field, a lot of them. They are the guys that are serving and they're, they're, you see them taking notes and you're always wondering, are they watching my kid? Probably not. But anyways, so they're there taking notes. And here's what one of them said one week. He said, I am a professional baseball scout. I've been doing it for 30 years, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a follower of Jesus who happens to be a professional baseball scout. Does that make sense to everybody? It's a big deal. These guys were fishermen. They were ordinary people who said, God, I want a little more of you. And they got it. And when they got it, it was a game changer. So now, let me call Tom out. How many of you grew up, you said, man, when I grew up, I went to church, not by choice always, but I went to church growing up. Raise your hand. That was you. Okay, good number of you. How many of you said, and there's, there's a few, how many of you said, man, Mike, I didn't go to church of any sort. Raise, raise your hand. Good, good number of you too. All right, so if you went to church, you learned a lot about God the Father, Right? There used to be a song, God, I remember that one. Anyways, so I'm not even going to put it in, but God the Father. You learned about God the Son, Jesus. I, didn't think. I mean, if you're ever at church and you don't know an answer, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, how do you go wrong with that, all right? It always works. It's a, it's a game changer. But what we didn't hear a lot about in most denominations was the Holy Spirit. Cole Ragsdale on our team, on that, in fact, on that coaching call the other week, he said, the Holy Spirit's like that uncle. We don't talk a lot about him, right? We know, we know, we know he's part of the family, but we just choose not to say a whole lot about it. So it's like, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. All right, and so because we don't really know what the Holy Spirit means. If you grew up Baptist or Methodist or even Catholic, you probably didn't hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. Charismatic or Church of God, you did. But from a lot of denominations, you didn't. All right, I want you to write this down. Ready? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. It is not uh, ethereal. It's not... It's not just some weird, wacky thing that just happened to be in the Bible. It's a very divisive topic among a lot of churches. But today we're gonna hit the meat and potatoes of the Holy Spirit because here's the deal about the Holy Spirit. Number one, God indwells every believer with the Holy Spirit. On the day that you ask Jesus in your heart, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, period. Doesn't matter where you are. Last weekend, I was with a good friend of mine in Denver, Colorado, uh, just outside south of Denver, and I was speaking in a church. Last Sunday, we had a couple people come to know Christ at their service. Last Sunday, outside Denver, Colorado, there was a group of, group of people that said yes to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in their lives, right? So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said of him, he is even greater than I. How, how could he say that? Because when Jesus was on earth, he was in one place at one time. So if he was in Galilee, he wasn't also in Samaria or New York City, all right? He was in Galilee. That's where he was. 
He was physically contained while he was in his earthly form to one place. He said he's even greater than I because when Jesus left and he left the Holy Spirit for us in Kennesaw, Ackworth, Northwest Georgia, Northwest Cobb County and Paulding County, he resides, but he also resides in Haiti and Dominican Republic and China. The Holy Spirit, does that make sense to everybody? So he indwells you. On the day you say yes to Jesus, at a service, at VBS, with your parents growing up, whenever it was, the day you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. That's a big deal. It didn't have anything to do with how good you were, nice you were, pretty you were, dumb you were. It didn't matter. What mattered was you said yes to Jesus. Look at what it says in Acts 2.4. And everyone present, I want you to circle this word, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning at that point of salvation, that Holy Spirit took over their lives. See, up until that point, you read about the Holy Spirit, it's about creation or even the Old Testament or the ministry of Jesus. But here's what happened to these believers, and here's the game changer. God places his spirit in every believer permanently, not merely on them temporarily. It's a big deal. When the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, it's not based on how good you are. The day you said yes to Jesus, he's yours. He's yours. It's not a, well, I'm gonna take a week off and go to somebody who likes me more. It's not, not how it works. We don't think, we don't believe as a church you can lose your salvation. We believe that when you're saved, you are his. My kids have a DNA. My daughter's 24, my son's 27. Were there times that they did not like me? I will answer that. Yes, there were that they didn't want to be associated with me, like when I walk around with my light on my phone on, all right, and so they don't want to be associated with me. Yes, but their DNA always, they're always gonna be mine. When you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes up presence in your life, he's always yours. That's where it stops. What happens with what he does from your life, with your life, is then up to you. It's a big deal. Can you imagine if all this had happened in Acts 2 and those people went, eh, nah, I think I'm busy. We may not be sitting in this room today. If 2,000 years ago this group of people didn't say, God, I want you to use me, look at, look at what Jesus told them. John 14, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate and he will never leave, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. So when I'm gone, I'm leaving one here that is one of us and he's gonna lead you into all truth. And the Spirit began to fall to the Jews, right? To the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles, which the majority, not all of you, the majority of you would qualify in that Gentile, meaning you're not from Jewish heritage. You're a Gentile. And when that day happened, whew, things began to spread like wildfire. Principle number two, the Holy Spirit empowers us for life and ministry. He takes a normal average, everyday person. He makes you extraordinary. 
because you allow him to use you. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you get better at being a business owner. What it means is you have a purpose now bigger than you. You have a purpose bigger than you. Tonight at five o'clock, we'll have 120, 130 uh, Kennesaw State football players are gonna descend on our building. We're doing a dinner for them tonight. Sterling Brown, their chaplain, Sterling's in this room today. If they meet Jesus this season while they're playing football, they may not, they may, they may not go from a 4-7 to a 4-3, but all of a sudden they're gonna play football for a way bigger reason than they played it before. And when that Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, he begins to empower us to do more. Now, here's the, here's the scary part. This is the part that gets me. Sometimes we're okay with that. We got us enough of Jesus. I, I, Mike, I really, I really don't want any more. See, in Acts 2, 4, it said that the believers began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And so they, they began to tell the story. Now, understand this, this is an important part of that. It was in the language that everybody needed to hear. What's different now than then? What's different now than then is the Bible's translated into almost every language in the world. Very different world we live in now. What is true, and here's the word I want you to write down, ready? Is they were available to be used. That is true. That is something that's still the same. Could God still do this? If he wants to, God can do anything he wants to. What these guys found is that when they opened themselves up and said, God, I want you to use me, God began to use them in the context of their community. At our spiritual birth, I want you to write this down, we're baptized by the Spirit. So anytime you read that, we believe as a church that baptism of the Spirit is what happens when you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. At our birth, we're baptized, and over and over, believers are filled with the Spirit. How do we get filled with the Spirit over and over? And I want you to write these things down. Ready? Number one, we empty ourselves and we ask to be controlled by Him. That's, that's the breakdown. We empty ourselves and go, it isn't about me. God, you gave me these abilities, whatever they may be, it's not about me. You use my life to make a difference for you. That's what that means. Does that make sense to everybody? So you're, you, at salvation, you get the Holy Spirit. What it means to be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again means we access what God has for us. Have you ever watched somebody not live out who they could be? Have you ever watched that before? Maybe it was a kid, maybe it was a, a child's friend or one of your friends and you watch them and you're like, they could have been so much more. I wonder how God looks down from heaven sometimes and says, do you really wanna settle for this? Hey, you make money and you got a great job and you got a good, 
But is that it? Because I got more. If you allow me to control your life, your legacy will last for generations. This group of people left a mark. Number three, through the Holy Spirit, God is building his church. Not a building, the church. Through the Holy Spirit, he's building the church. Summer of 1996, I was driving home from a youth camp at Jekyll Island, Georgia. If you've never been to Jekyll Island, just imagine concrete and they put sand on it. All right. And so that's pretty much the beach of the beach of Jekyll Island. So we we took our kids down there. We like taking our kids to Jekyll Island because there wasn't you sneak out. Where are you gonna go? All right, and nowhere to go. And so we, we were at Jekyll Island for the week. It was an awesome week. We watched God do amazing things. And the way student camp works is the kids stay up all week and keep the adults up, and then on the way home, they go to sleep while the old people got to drive, all right? And so I'm driving home, and I was old. I was in my 20s at the time. And so sitting in the seat next to me was a young man named Mark. Mark was in our student ministry. He was actually in college. He was a college football player who went as a volunteer that week. And we're driving back to Atlanta. We're probably somewhere on 16 between Dublin and Metter when there's nothing to eat, all right? And so we're just driving up 16, and I said, man, wasn't that a great week? He said, yep. And I said, what do you think about what it means when we get home? And this was his line. This were, these were his words, not my words. Mike, God could never do at church what he did there all week. And I'm like, what? Mike, that's not possible. He goes, what we watched God do this week could never happen in a church. I remember distinctly that conversation because when we got home, I told Ann it's time because I don't think God created church to be something that's talked about that way. I believe that God created the church to be something you can't explain and to be something that you look back and go, man, there's no answers for that. Sad part was I agreed with a piece of his statement and knew there was more. So we, we came back and we began to get some groups of people together and gentleman named Ike, who was my pastor growing up, we decided to start North Star about October of 96. Now, here's what began to happen. Let me tell you a little bit of the story. What began to happen was there was a group of people, about 25, 30 people, they started getting on their knees and praying that God would do something great. Here's what we didn't have. We didn't have a building. We didn't have any money. We didn't even have a name. We didn't know what we were gonna call it. This group of people just started praying that God would use them to bring lots of people to Jesus. It was in the fall of 1996. So today, if you plan a church, you need at least a year. This is the fall of 96. In one of the meetings, our goal was to start in, in, in Easter of 97. That was the goal. And I was the two, so I, had to, I was the strategy guy, which 
If any of you know me, that is very dangerous. But anyways, so I was the strategy guy. So I'm, I'm laying out the timeline, what it's gonna take to start by Easter. And we're crunching it, man. We're, we're, I don't know how we're gonna do it. We gotta find a place to meet. We gotta get a name. We gotta get incorporated articles of incorporation. We gotta do all these things to get our name out. I mean, nobody knew who, who are y'all. Well, we're people, all right? And so I mean, we didn't know who we were. And so November, we're in a meeting and this guy raises his hand and he goes, what would it take to start the church sooner? And I'm looking at Ike going, there's Ike, there's no way we can start soon. I'm just like shaking my head because Ike would always say, I make promises that Mike's gonna keep, all right? And so Ike would say that all the time. And so I'm like, don't, don't, don't say this. I know where this is going. And he's like, what's it gonna take? And Ike's like, I don't know. And he said, if I gave you $100,000, would you start in January? Because we're godly and we love the Lord. We prayed about it and said, yes. All right, and so we'll, we'll take it. All right, and so we didn't have anything. We didn't have no money. And we started January the 5th, 1997. 365 people, the Days in Conference Center behind US Play, which is Bolero, I think now. I don't think that building exists anymore. You sit in this room today because somebody on a knee in a house in one of these neighborhoods prayed for you. It was the birth of our movement called North Star. And for 25 years, we've watched a lot of people come through these doors. We've seen thousands walk through the waters of baptism because of the prayers of those people. Here we sit today, we got lights, we got a beautiful building, we got two buildings actually, we've got incredible technology. But do you know that there are more people now in this community that don't know the Lord than there were in 1997? There are more people. And we got the greatest churches in the country within six to eight miles of this church. We're all best friends. All these pastors around here, we're literally texting each other every week. We're best friends. But people still don't know. Well, Mike, how are they gonna find out? Everybody look at me. And here's the part I want you to get. When you allow the Holy Spirit to say, God, you use my life. Take me and use me. I'm a principal. I'm a coach. I'm a real estate agent. I'm a pharmacist. I teach. I counsel. I'm a vet. Fireman. God, take my life. Use me. When that begins to happen, I'm gonna tell you what happens. The favor of God begins to fall. How many of you would say, Mike, I would willingly give up my seat on Sunday if there were people here that they'd never been to church before in their life? How many of y'all would say that? Get that on video so if y'all ever take their seat, we got, we got your hand up. Yeah, we all would, right? They just don't know Jesus yet. They're waiting on you. So back in the Old Testament, you had this thing, crazy thing called the Tower of Babel that it's one of those stories when you're reading to your kids that you read it and you're like, I don't understand it, so let's move on from that. But it was a, the people began to worship and God said, you know what, this is enough. And he disoriented them and caused all the languages so they couldn't understand each other and dispersed. Pentecost is when all those days came back together. All those languages came back together and everybody understood. 
the language is the small part of the story. That's what everybody focuses on. Here's the big part of the story. The story they heard was about Jesus. And the story that was told was how he loved you enough to come and live for you and die for you and rise again just for you. Would you pray with me? Father, there is no story greater. We've told it here the best we could for almost 25 years. And we don't even do it justice. It's like trying to whistle and tell you about a symphony. But God, when the Holy Spirit gets involved, boy, I, I, I say this this morning, and some people are sitting in the room going, man, Mike, I remember where I was when the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart. Father, for such a time as this, you've brought these people here. God, you didn't bring us here to sit. You didn't bring us here to take in more information. You didn't bring us here to just enjoy. God, you brought us here to help us tell so we can help tell your story. Empowered by the Holy Spirit having control of our lives. Father, my prayer since we landed on this series a couple months ago was that through it you would set a fire in our souls and it would consume us make us more passionate. God, even for some that go, man, man, I just, you know. God, you'd free up some seats for people that don't know you. God, may we tell your story well. As we prayed at the beginning, show me. God, when you do, May we answer the call. Father, take these few minutes we've got left and let your Holy Spirit work in, through, on to our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name.